Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. Post Tenebris Lux. After darkness, light. Before the Reformation, life in Europe was shrouded in darkness. The church of the day had made a serious mistake. They had reserved the Bible for clergy only. And if you close the book, you turn off the light. In that day, common men and women had limited personal access to the Word of God. And, and this meant that they relied solely on the church to tell them what the Bible says and means. Over centuries, those teachings fell further away from the truth and light of God's Word, leading its followers into a darkness as corruption ravaged the church. Imagine you're a poor peasant. A friar enters your town and cries, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. The church has offered salvation for your dead father, daughter, brother, or wife. They will release their soul from the purifying flames of purgatory and admit them into heaven, all for a few coins. Or maybe you visit the sacred stairs and crawl each step on your knees, earning one year's forgiveness for each step that you climb. These are just a few of the practices that weren't found in Scripture that led one man to cry for reform. A German monk by the name of Martin Luther exemplifies the confusion of the day. If one could earn salvation through self-denial and suffering, it would have been this monk. He fasted from food and water for days on end, refused simple necessities like a blanket on a cold night. He prayed hard, he studied hard, and he worked hard, and still he lived in darkness. But then the light of the word struck his heart. As he read the words of scripture and compared it with the traditions of the church, Luther began to question the inconsistencies. These inconsistencies amounted to 95 theses or disagreements with the church, all which he wrote out and nailed to the door of the church, which was common practice of that day. In this, Luther intended to open a debate with the church leaders, but instead sparked the flame of reform within the church, beginning what years later historians would call the Reformation. Fast forward four years to 1521 and the Council of Worms. Luther has been formally kicked out of the church, but summoned to stand before them and recant his teaching that he had spread. Convinced of the gospel of Jesus Christ as laid out in scripture, Luther proclaimed this, Unless I'm convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, amen. After being declared a heretic, friends of Luther kidnapped him and hid him for safety. And while Luther was frustrated by this wanting to be home with his flock, he managed to translate the New Testament into German. The Bible was now open 
for the common man to read and interpret by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Reformation didn't end with Luther, but carried on to see the Bible translated into more languages and a new church movement that is our heritage as Protestants began. The light had been turned on in the vast darkness of Europe, and the truths of the gospel were available to all men. The truths preserved in the Reformation are laid out in what is called the five solas. Sola Scriptura, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Sola Christus, and Soli Deo Gloria. In English, this means that salvation is found in Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, and to the glory of God alone. To deny any of these is to deny the true Christian faith. The Reformers stood up in their day, and they declared that the Word of God was their authority, not the Church itself. Popes, councils, and culture had to take a back seat to Scripture. And this is the same decision that we must make as Christians today. Good to see you here at Amazing Love. Welcome, welcome. You know, there are a common way of doing things, but sometimes what is common is very wrong. And to get you to think about this a little bit, I want to talk about English grammar. I know it's early in the morning, but I have some grammar lessons. For example, there is confusion over how to use its with apostrophe or its without an apostrophe. Let me quiz you early in this morning. Uh, Which is the, the proper use of its? I don't believe it's finally Sunday. I don't believe it's finally Sunday. Who thinks the top? Raise of hands. Who thinks the bottom? Raise of hands. Yeah, you should go with majority, so uh, there we go. Uh, Let's try another. We're still on its. Uh, The cat was licking its tail. The cat was licking its tail. Top, raise your hands. You're catching on, I think. Bottom, yep. Uh, This is correct, but this is best. Cats are gross. (laughs) Let's let's continue on a little bit. Uh, You need to look at this sentence and figure out what is wrong with it. Um, The man came to Amazing Love, and he did not eat a donut before leaving. Many things are wrong with this. What, what's it missing? A period and a comma, right? And a donut, uh, you know. That is correct, not only grammatically, but also in heart and intent. Um, or, or consider what is common when it comes to Chicago traffic. I don't know if you drive the same streets as I do, but when you're merging on the interstate, what's common? It's common for the person who's already on the interstate who sees you better than you see them to speed up, cut you off, um, so that they can spare themselves 0.5 seconds, you know, um, even though we almost got into a life-threatening accident. Uh, that is very common, but it's wrong. Please stop doing that to me. Anyway, um, (laughs) or if you grew up in Chicago, you know when it comes uh, to this thing, there is something wrong that you can do with condiments, and that is to add correct. And so we're getting the point, you know, and maybe that's happened for you. Uh, You were doing something very common, but it was wrong. Uh, For me, it was how I was sitting in my desk. Uh, I had a year and a half of horrible lower back pain, and then a medical expert came and observed how I was sitting. And sure enough, I was a sloucher, and sure enough, I was a lowrider in one of those chairs. And you shouldn't do that, by the way. I learned that. And all of that was very common, but wrong. But we're in the house of God, and once again, welcome. And really, honestly, we're not here for English grammar, but lessons about God. And, and so as we turn our attention there, um, if you're visiting us, uh, one of the things that is common in a new environment is to feel out of place or unwelcomed. And I want to tell you that that is completely wrong because you are completely welcome here. Even if you are new, uh, if it's your first time, man, we just love having you grab a donut, have a good time. Um, But when it comes to God, um, 
what we need to know about this world, about the perception of religion out there, about what you might have heard from other people, is that what is common when it comes to spirituality is completely wrong. Because this is common. Are you ready? That my salvation depends on me. That is common. You will talk to other people. You will talk to your friends, your hairdresser, whoever you meet. And this is the common approach. Because it is so common, there are then ways that we try to prop up ourselves and and figure out how we are right. And one of the common ways to prop myself up is by comparison. So, So we live in a world where many people are trying to feel good by comparison. It reminds me of these flowers. So I got some beautiful flowers. I stole them from my wife's face. I hope that's okay. Um, and, and let's say you're this flower, right? This is, this is you and I. We're, we're this flower. Now, obviously, you can see worse flowers, can't you? Well, I know I'm not this flower, but look at this guy, you know? <laughs> not so good, right? Or this one, I don't know if he's going to make it, right, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, I'm this flower, but, but look at this one. Cut off, it, it doesn't even have hope. It's going to die, right? So I'm, I'm happy I'm this flower. Um, I won't talk about these more beautiful flowers. So here's where I'm going with this. We live in a spiritual state where I know I'm not a perfect person, but, oh, man, Pastor, you should see my family members. I mean, comparison, uh, I'm looking pretty good. If you would just know what's happening at my work and what I don't do but they're doing, oh, my, I'm pretty. Uh, if you would just know when, when I watch the news and, and how distant my life is from those murderers and, and from those shooters and from those politicians, man, I'm looking pretty good, right? That's one approach, if salvation depends on me. There's another common approach. It's common to think that God is a cosmic collector of all our good activity. And so he's watching, kind of like Santa Claus or the elf on the shelf, right? He's watching every time I do a good thing. And so, uh, you know, I'm here in church today, God. It's pretty good, right? Or, or I was a really good worker, you know, so I'm filling up my jar, right? Or I even volunteered, so that's got to count for, you know, a lot. Um, I give to church. You know, that's a whole bag, right? Um, I, I supported someone in, an, in a different country, a third world country. Let's put the rest of that bag in there. Uh, you know, I told people about Jesus. You know, I, I'm doing the best that I can. And, and maybe if my jar is filled with enough good, the cosmic collector can tell me, well done. Truly, you've done enough that you can come to my kingdom. But what's missing there is God's cosmic collection of all our wrong. And we don't want him to collect what we were doing in college or on Friday night. We don't want him to collect our worst moments or define us by that. Let's just make sure he collects the good. There's common ways, aren't there? But all of these ways remind me of a proverb that Solomon said. You ready for the truth? Here it is. Solomon said, there is a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to death. There is a way that is common, that everyone is doing, that people are promoting, but but none of them come close to working. It leads to death. And so we're going to talk about that today. And and today, as you saw the video, we celebrate the 500th year of the Reformation. And I'm not a big history guy, but I'm going to try to share with you the significance of this history so that hopefully uh, when we're done with this discussion, you'll see why the Reformation was good and what we should hold on to. Are you ready? So let's do a little bit of Reformation history. I'll try not to bore you to tears. History's not my bag, but I'll try. 500 years ago, it was common to try to save yourself. And it wasn't by comparison or God collecting my cosmic good. It was by buying your way. 
Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if you entered today and I said, we'll take Visa and MasterCard and then you're good to go? That's crazy. They were selling these things called indulgences that could release you from purgatory. And they were so popular, they even had their own slogan and a representative. It reminds me of Pepsi. When I was growing up at Pepsi, the, the slogan was the choice of the next generation. Didn't work for me, I drink Coke. Uh, but anyway, now it's live for the now. And they have a new representative. Maybe you heard Super Bowl halftime, Pepsi, and who's playing? JT, Justin Timberlake, by the way. He's, he's Super Bowl halftime. So, so they have slogans and representatives. Do you know indulgences had a slogan? Look at the catchy slogan. When the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. It even rhymes. That was so clever of them, right? And they had JT as their representative. He, he looks a little bit different, doesn't he? But it was, it was a different JT. This is Johann Tetzel. And Johann Tetzel was kind of a big deal, right? And he was coming around saying, you want to go to heaven? You want your dead uh, relatives to go to heaven? Just buy this. But enter Luther, who had access to God's word, who was, who was reading God's word and was understanding this is not found here. And so Luther, on October 31st, 1517, he nailed 95 theses to the castle church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And so on October 31st, it'll be the 500th anniversary of that. And what his beef was all about was this idea that you could possibly save yourself. Save yourself by anything that you do, and especially by buying these indulgences. If you look at his 33rd theses, this is what it says. It says, do not believe those who say a papal indulgence is a wonderful gift which allows salvation. That that can't happen. That's not true. And Luther was reading the book that we're going to get into, the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. And he came across this phrase, the righteousness of God. And for so long, he thought the righteousness of God was something he had to be, to be perfect in all of his ways. But as he was reading, he learned the righteousness of God is something he gives through Jesus. It's a gift to all who believe. And it's then that his, his mental framework changed, then that his spirit changed, then that his soul came alive. He reflects when he was reading Romans, and this was his understanding. He said, as I was meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand the righteousness of God is that through which, righteous, through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. And here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. And so what Luther was able to first reveal to himself and then to us is a different way of salvation. And that different way is simply stated this way. That my salvation and your salvation and the hope of the world depends on one man whose name is Jesus. And that's what we hold out. And that's the power of the Reformation that we still cling to with tooth and nail. To tell you this salvation is a gift by Jesus that comes to us through faith. And it was Jesus' own words. For Jesus walked around, and these were his words. Not a church's words, not Luther's words. These were Jesus' words. Are you ready? He said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. It is only through me that this happens. So you're going to explore a little bit of what Luther was exploring.
Still with me? Say yeah. All right. Awesome. Um, and uh, we're going to get into the book of Romans. And I invite you to follow along. It's printed out for you in your worship folder. Um, it's also on the screen, so whatever is easiest for you. We're going to read Romans chapter 3. Here it says, Now we know that whatever the law says... It says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement, literally a propitiation, which we'll talk about, propitiation, through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And this is the beautiful gospel that illustrates a different way that we get just to soak in. And for some of you who grew up Lutheran, I I know this may be a story you might know already. I'm happy to tell you again. There's going to be ramifications over what it does to our hearts and our lives, even our daily walk today. But it is the centrality of what we believe here at Amazing Love. Such a beautiful word. And to get us going on it, could you turn to your neighbor and could you tell him, his propitiation is your peace. It's a tongue twister. His propitiation is your peace. His propitiation is your peace. <laughs> Anyone ever been to Sky Zone? Sky Zone, you wore the orange shocks and you tried to be coordinated jumping around. Uh, I had a daddy-daughter day where I took the girls to Sky Zone. And uh, we, had a, we had a blast. And, and one of the things that stick in my mind is they had this big rock wall. And there was an instructor showing us around who was very kind. And when it came to the rock wall we were considering, uh, pointed out the, the easier path. Like if you stuck with like the red and the green and the blue, those were all pretty easy. And sure enough, you know, um, we all made it to the top of the, the green and the blue. And, and we did the red too, I think, you and me, Bella. Um, but then there was like this whole other half. And I'm not sure who they made it for. <laughs> this whole other half of like the neon blue where there like goes backwards and straight up and there's like two stones to connect yourself. And as I looked at that and I looked at me, I'm like, there is no possible way that I would ever do that. Like it, it is, is not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not built for that. In fact, I, I had this thought, I, I watched Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise and uh, he, he was a rock climber at the beginning of this one one. And I'm like, even Tom Cruise in a harness could not do this. Like, who is this created for? This is impossible. I bring this up because have you ever uh, had an impossible task? Maybe for you, it was someone you had to deal with and say the right thing. Maybe for you, it was something for your body or something for your mind that, that you looked at it and it's just like, there is no way where me and it and uh-uh, impossible. The Word of God would tell us today that there is an impossibility going on. 
And the impossibility is a salvation that depends on me and a salvation that depends on works. For consider the paths of works that God has laid out for us. I'm going I'm to illustrate some of the paths, the courses that he has designed. Uh, I color-coded them for you. Uh, so first we have the red path, which is kind of easy. Love your family and your friends. And In fact, this is what I would assume about this group, is that I bet you many of you probably love your family and your friends. You know, good job. Red path, nailed it. All right, cool, awesome. But then it gets a little bit harder. Love the needy. Okay, and, and maybe you reflect on your life, and this one time, you know, I had a quarter, and I'm like, I don't usually do the window, but I gave him the quarter. Ah, nailed it, right? You know, I'm there, right? And so maybe you have a better example than the quarter. Maybe you, you really did provide something significant, and you remember, uh, so I provided and went to Goodwill, and okay, so I got the needy down, right? Well, it gets harder. Love the stranger and the outsider. Hmm. This is harder because it's usually easier for me to love people who have loved me first. Isn't that true? It's usually easier. You love me, I love you. That's how it works. All right. Uh, but Jesus says about a good Samaritan uh, that, that he took care of a Jew who he had every reason to hate because of the cultural circumstances, but, but regardless was a need, so he took care of him. So maybe there. You want to see what's really hard? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God, you're saying, like, the bully at school who has made my life miserable, I'm supposed to love? You're telling me the coworker who stole the credit for what I did, love? You're telling me that family member who hasn't changed, who is a bitter pill, a thorn in my side, love? And then if that wasn't hard enough, on the same level, uh, by the way, when it comes to all these categories, never fail at it. Which means it's not just that the majority that, you know, of days you've loved your family and friends, but that every day consistently and perfectly you have always done that. Never a moment went by that you failed at it. And to which all of us could say, not me. If this wasn't hard enough, I want to create the fuchsia course. Uh, it will take it one step further. Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it, which is to say, if you want to be justified by God through the law, you could go 50 years of your life being perfect, if that were possible, wake up on your 50th birthday, have one bad thought, one loveless thought, and then you would be done. Failed. <clears throat> right. <laughs> and so what's the takeaway? The takeaway is this, salvation that depends on me is an impossibility. It just truly is if you're going to be honest with God's demands. And so we read the first portions of our lesson and we see that if we see what the law says, this is what it leads to, that I'm going to be silenced and I'm going to be held accountable to God and the only thing I'm going to know is the consciousness or the awareness of my failure. That's all I know is the consciousness and the awareness that I have not done what he told me to do. That's all this works of the law leads to. Let me tell you about Luther. Luther was a tormented monk because he thought that salvation depended on me, on him. And Luther was almost a perfect monk. Luther would go to confession and have the confessor tell him, come back when you have some real sins to confess, because he was pretty spotless. 
Luther would fast and pray, would go on cold nights without blankets, would uh, have acts of penance, even flog himself for his sins. Um, Luther was known for saying this, that if ever a monk got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. And yet Luther was plagued with guilt, felt that God was an angry judge who just wanted to burn him, put him down, did not have any peace. And I think this is the world we live in. Okay, maybe it's not you all the time, but maybe it's you sometimes who you'd like to tell people or convince people, nothing to see here. I'm good. Nothing going on underneath. These are not the droids you're looking for. But inwardly, you know inside you feel wrecked. Inwardly, if you were going to be honest, you could emotionally spew all the guilt you feel, all the shame you feel. Inwardly, you could confess something that you'd be like, I'd never confess it because I don't even want to say it out publicly. And this is the world we live in. This is the people you walk around with that they might try to convince you nothing to see here, all good. But inwardly, it's a different story at one point or another. We can relate to Luther's torment. So what's the answer? It's clear, but it's different. The answer is found in verse 23. Sorry, verse 21. Could you read this yellow part with me? But now, apart from the law. Apart from the law. See, that's the only way this thing works. Is apart from the law. In fact, it would go on to say that it's not only apart from the law, but if you literally translate another verse, it's being justified, say this yellow, as a, oh, I love that. And so it reminds me of a different option that I have. I have a gift. And all this gift is, is Jesus works for me. And if I hold on to this gift through the hands and the arms of faith, that's where I'm made right. Because the world would tell me, you've got to climb the highest mountain and you've got to swim the deepest sea and it's only then that you are set free. But I'm holding on to this gift. This gift is a different message. It's the message that salvation is Jesus climbing the highest mountain called Golgotha. Where there was a cross, where he shed his blood and he gave his life so that we could be set free. And he swam in the deepest sea He went to the grave, to the tomb. But he rose up on the third day. All to prove that he had conquered death and that all who hope in him do not hope in vain, but will live with him someday and will rise again. All this is ours through the arms and the hands of faith. And it changes us. It's the reason this church has such a mission. Because all I am is this great gift giver telling a Jeff and a Benjamin and a Heidi, receive the gift. All I do is pass it on. Can I pass it on to you, Belle? You can hold it. Take hold of it. That's all we do. And we keep passing the gift around, and we find that there's more gift to give. And that's the only mission of the church. Do you know the gift of God in, in Jesus Christ? Do you know what's available for you today? Do you know you have the right to be at peace today because of nothing that you did and everything because of what Jesus did? And this is the power of this place. 
that he breaks the chains, that he sets us free, that we have firm peace because it's all on Jesus. So here's the main takeaway. That salvation that depends on Jesus, it is the truth, it is reality, it is the only way of salvation as presented if you clearly see what the New Testament is telling us, what God is telling us through these words. And how great it is. How great it is. How great this gift is. Now, one silly way to remember what Jesus did is through the word propitiation. And you're like, what does propitiation mean? Well, thank you for asking. I'll tell you. Um, the way I'm going to explain propitiation is through a Bud Light commercial. And I need your grace because, okay, let's be real about alcohol. Uh, you can drink alcohol. It's a temptation for some. Some may should maybe never touch it, but there's a line called drunkenness. So can we get those bearings right in the church of God uh, based on the words of Jesus? But the Bud Light commercial helped me understand propitiation. Um, because what we have is a king and we have gifts to appease the king, right? And, and there's, there's the right gift and there's the wrong gift. Uh, maybe some of you have seen this commercial. If not, let me show it to you. Here it is. <clears throat> Sir Jeremy, you are a true friend of the crown. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. dilly. Madam Susan, you are an even truer friend of the crown. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. What, um, what is that? This is a spiced honeymead wine that I have really been into lately. So, uh, dilly dilly, right? Please follow Sir Brad. He's going to give you a private tour of the Pit of Misery. I'm sorry, what? Pit of Misery, dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. dilly. Here's to the friends you can always count on. Bud Light, brewed to be America's favorite light lager. Thanks for being with me. Okay. So we have the right gift and we have the wrong gift. I think that was a knock on craft brew places. Does anyone? Okay. I just, just wondering if anyone else saw that. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so here's, let's get back to the seriousness of God. When, when it comes to our approach to God, right, we know one thing that will not appease him, that will get us into the pit of misery, um, and that is if we come and we say, look at my jar. It's an awesome jar. Do you know my name? I was a pastor. <laughs> I, I went to eight years of school to serve you. I invited people to church and I shared my faith. And that's the reason you should let me in. Look at my jar. And you say, look at your jar. And he says, this is that spiced mead. But otherwise I could hold up that gift. Can you hold it up? And I could say, Lord, look, look at what Jesus did. You know, I got nothing, but I got Jesus. Would you allow me in just because of Jesus? And he says, not dilly-dilly. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have held on to the true prize. Your hands of faith have kept you through every era. And so enter, receive the ultimate prize of being with me forever. And this is how we bring our offering of propitiation. This is our peace. But a final word before we leave this place. Because for some of you this isn't new, but I believe this teaching can have new ramifications this week if you work it out in your life. And to talk about how this message can, can be worked out this week, I want to talk about the story of the prodigal son. 
And some of you might know this story from the Bible, and, and the prodigal is pretty famous. But let me ask you, how many sons were in the story of the prodigal? One or two? Two. First, you have the younger brother's dilemma. He's the prodigal. He goes out in reckless and wild living, spending all of the money. He, he feels miserable for what he's done. So he goes back to the father saying, Father, please accept me no longer as a son but as a slave. And the problem he's wrestling with is despair. The problem he wrestles with as the prodigal is being beat up over all that he has done. But then there's the older brother. And the older brother sees what the younger had done. He'd been faithful in God's house, in the father's house. He's upset over the party the father is throwing. And the older son, he's like, why does he get a party? He did everything wrong. Do you know the older son's problem? It's boasting. It's being proud over all that he has done for the Lord. When it comes to our lives, which one do you gravitate towards? I know there are some people who have high expectations over how they're going to live. And sometimes those high expectations lead to despair because we know we didn't do it. And maybe there are people walking in today and you say things to yourself and about yourself that you wouldn't even say about someone else. You call yourself a moron and horrible things and you, you beat yourself up. But maybe there are some who come today and be a little too proud. God, look, I'm, I'm here today. God, look, I got a new suit on and a nice bright orange tie. I'm even thematic. God, look at all that I'm doing for you. Come on, right? I'm so glad that I'm not like the murderers and the corrupt politicians and the people who aren't here. And Ha-ha! Which one are you? And where do you gravitate? Do you know what this message does? It gives balance to both brothers and both spirits. See, the message of salvation that depends on Jesus, it leaves no room for boasting and it leaves no room for being beat up. In fact, the lesson would go on to say, and here, where then is boasting? It's excluded. If I have understood this message rightly, there is no way I can come before God and say, look at me. No. All I can say is thank you, Jesus, but also the opposite if true. If you've been walking around and you just feel beat up and you feel worn out and you feel in despair and depressed and how could anyone love me, you need to know you are loved and you are instated as a son and a daughter of the Most High God. You have the most beautiful standing that others would covet all as a gift. So to be neither this week, Know that there is this different way of salvation. Know that understanding salvation by Jesus leads to neither boasting nor being beat up, but rather just proclaiming what a beautiful Savior we have. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just ask that this message would take root in all of our hearts once again, and that the seed of this would be peace and confidence in our salvation through you, and that we would glorify you in this world that we would tell others humbly, not with an arrogant or a despairing spirit, but humbly that this gift is also for them. In Jesus' name, amen.